0: Welcome to KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Monday, August 28th of 2023. I'm your host Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll have the latest story in our Follow the Waste series, this time looking at what happens after e-bike batteries die. Then, CityCast Denver dives into the hype and anticipation surrounding the upcoming season of CU Buffs football. After the BBC News headlines, we'll hear the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. Then, it's a public affair. Host Jim Williams speaks with Sarah Huntley, Communications and Engagement Director at the City of Boulder, to discuss the upcoming What's Up Boulder Festival. At 9 a.m., Counterspin will bring us a look at fairness and accuracy in reporting. At 9.30, Leland Rucker will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first... The headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. Today
1: is the first day of classes at the University of Colorado Boulder. Expect more traffic in the Hill area and around off-campus student housing as school is back in full swing and students who commute to classes get back to their routines. A teacher and community organizer known for inspiring student protests last year at North High will represent Denver's north side in the state legislature next session. KGNU's Yvonne Levis has more. A Democratic vacancy committee selected community educator
2: Tim Hernandez as House District 4 state representative Saturday. His appointment makes 26-year-old Hernandez the first member of Gen Z to serve in the state legislature. Hernandez's appointment by a vacancy committee comes after former representative Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez left her position to serve in the Denver City Council. Hernandez made news in 2020 when students at North High protested the school's decision to not renew his teaching contract. He later accepted a teaching position in Aurora. Hernandez says his policy priorities include fighting gun violence, addressing housing issues, reducing incarceration rates, and improving education. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas.
1: An initiative seeking a strong mayor government in Aurora announced it had missed a key deadline Friday. A strong mayor government removes the city manager, yielding powerful decisions such as vetoing city council ordinances and hiring and firing employees to the mayor. The term limits and empowering the mayor for a better Aurora campaign announced it had missed its petition deadline last week. The campaign needed 181 signatures to make the November ballot. Dozens of protesters disrupted a Pride Fest in Douglas County Saturday as they stood to block an audience from seeing the stage of a drag show. According to Nine News, the protesters stood silently for about 40 minutes wearing identical T-shirts that read, Stand to Protect Children. A witness who took photographs of the protest said the audience appeared intimidated and some people left as a result. The protesters dispersed after security team members convinced them to stop obstructing audience views. This is the latest incident of protesters targeting drag performances in Colorado amid a nationwide trend of book bans and legal restrictions on drag shows in a handful of southern states. Local and national human rights groups celebrated the third anniversary of an amendment passed in Colorado that abolishes slavery as punishment for a crime. Amendment A removed language from the state's constitution that allowed forced prison labor. The groups that advocated for the amendment gathered in Denver Saturday with organizers from 13 other states seeking similar initiatives. Several other states have removed slavery loopholes from their constitutions, including Utah, Nebraska, Tennessee, Vermont, Alabama, and Oregon. Dozens of police officers broke up a large brawl at a high school football game in Aurora Friday night. According to Denver 7, up to 70 officers were on the scene after multiple fights erupted at the Aurora Public Schools Stadium. Rangeview and Vista Prep High Schools were competing. Lt. Matt Buchbacher of the Aurora Police Department said police were initially dispatched with reports of shots fired. While that report was unfounded, Buchbacher said the crowd was tense and he called in more backup. Two arrests were made, including a teenager who was allegedly armed with a gun. It is not yet clear what sparked the unrest. An Aurora public school official released a statement thanking the police and announcing that APS management protocols are now under review. The Boulder County COVID-19 center closed Friday following the end of federal funding.
3: KGN News' Juanito Rotaro reports. According to a public release by Boulder County, in 2021, the call center received close to 2,700 calls. In 2022, numbers fell to about half that. In 2023, the call center received fewer than 200 calls. These calls provided information about COVID-19 testing, treatment, and vaccines. Although COVID-19 hospitalizations have increased throughout Colorado and the country, almost 100 people in Colorado were hospitalized with COVID last week alone, health experts say the rise in cases is not concerning. Compared with the start of the pandemic, and most people experience milder symptoms because of built-up immunity. Boulder County Public Health says they will remain vigilant in addressing community health concerns moving forward, but the demand no longer requires a dedicated call center. For KGNU, I'm Juanita Tartado.
1: Partly sunny with showers and thunderstorms likely in the afternoon. In Boulder, a high near 77 and a low around 56. In Denver, a high near 80 and a low around 58. In Fort Collins, a high near 79 and a low around 54. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee.
0: You are listening to The Morning Magazine. On KGNU, I'm Shannon Young. Cities like Denver and Boulder have been offering financial incentives to get residents out of their cars and onto e-bikes. Now, the state of Colorado has jumped on board to take the e-bike rebate program statewide. While pedal-assisted electric bicycles are more environmentally conscious than gas-powered cars in practice, their batteries do leave a footprint. KGNU and Report for America's Jackie Sedley has this report, for our Follow the Waste series. E-bike
4: batteries can be finicky. They're often made of lithium and can overheat if left charging unattended for extended periods of time. Not only this, but they're incredibly difficult to recycle. That's because lithium-ion batteries cannot be safely thrown away. And the materials in them are too precious to be tossed in a landfill. With state and local incentives to get more Colorado residents onto e-bikes, what to do about the batteries is a looming dilemma. Local bike shops are already finding themselves in the middle of this complicated recycling stream. May Blue Otter is the general manager of Small Planet e-bikes in Longmont. She says they rely on outsourcing when customers come in constantly asking for help with recycling or refurbishing their lithium-ion
2: batteries. We kind of fall on high C or call to recycle or batteries plus to do our recycling for us because we have no avenue at this moment that doesn't cost us a large amount of money, because usually we cover the costs of that pickup and drop off, which means we have to pay for not only the gas of the vehicle that we're driving, but for the time that that employee is taking. And that's taking people away from our shop.
4: Blue Otter does what she can to help folks with battery related questions. Blue Otter is a trained geologist and as a result understands the chemistry and other scientific components behind lithium ion batteries.
2: With overcharging lithium, if your battery management system is not working correctly, your battery will get super excited, keeping it plugged in. It's just going to take on that energy, take on that energy, and eventually it's going to expand and your battery will basically burp and it will be unusable.
4: She says that as with cell phones, four to six hours is plenty and that charging for more than eight hours at a time can reduce overall battery life. Exposure to extreme temperatures can also wear batteries out faster. Back over in Boulder, the e-bike fleet at the Boulder B-Cycle bike-sharing program deals with heavy use in Colorado weather. Boulder B-Cycle general manager Kevin Krauss says that high-quality batteries cost more upfront, but it was a conscientious investment made when transitioning the fleet to all-electric in 2021. Boulder B-Cycle sticks to one battery brand that they feel is reliable and high-quality. Bosch batteries. They have Underwriter Laboratory certification, which means that they have been tested to meet nationally recognized safety standards.
5: They certainly can be more expensive to have third-party testing and verification, but what we gain out of it is a much greater sense of security, both that the battery is going to operate as it should (laughs) without error, but also that's going to have a long lifespan.
4: All bikes in the B-cycle fleet have batteries mounted externally on a rear rack, as opposed to being installed internally. Some of the more affordable e-bike models on the market have batteries embedded in the frames, meaning when the battery dies, the entire bike no longer functions as intended. Krauss says due to their novelty, many people now looking to purchase an e-bike may not have these details in mind.
5: Most people are still buying an e-bike for the first time. They're not yet several years down the road needing to replace the battery of the e-bike they bought, and my hope is that the more that e-bikes are familiar to the general public, the more people will think of its maintenance and um, repairability long-term.
4: Despite these complications, B-Cycle's Krauss sees a hopeful future for e-bikes, even though they have a larger environmental footprint than a conventional pedal-powered bike.
5: E-bikes have been shown to basically get more people out on a bike more often for farther trips. And as long as some of those trips are helping to displace gas-powered trips, then it should be a large environmental win.
1: Kraus
4: thinks that the more the bike industry as a whole embraces larger recycling programs like Call to Recycle or Hungry for Batteries, the easier it'll be to incorporate that cost into the price of the bike up front. He also says recycling a battery on a case-by-case basis is probably the most costly way of doing it. That's why they chose to pay for recycling fees ahead of time through the Call to Recycle program. We're able to send them through the mail.
5: They use a different system for just regular end-of-life batteries versus any that have sustained any kind of damage. And so we're able to send them in different, different packages based on how Call to Recycle classifies those.
4: During both conversations, Blue Otter and Kraus brought up Call to Recycle. The nonprofit is well-known in the e-bike distributor community. It has thousands of battery drop-off locations across the United States and kickstarted a Hungry for Batteries campaign that focuses specifically on e-bike battery disposal. Eric Fredrickson is the vice president of operations at Call to Recycle. He sees the barriers to e-bike battery recycling and says his organization is working to break some of them down.
6: When you've got batteries that are in the hands of consumers or in the hands of bike shops, there's a whole new degree of complexity. From a transportation logistics standpoint, safety standpoint and from a compliance um, and regulations standpoint, that's really called a recycle's core competency is taking back things that are in the hands of consumers.
4: He says there aren't a lot of organizations doing broad take-back programs in the battery recycling space, and that there is generally more cost associated with re-aggregating batteries than there is in the value of the materials themselves. They have a network of nearly 1,900 bike shops, and they're all required to take a battery handling training before being taken into the call-to-recycling fold.
6: It seems a little counterintuitive to broad collection that you would want to limit who can participate in your program. But in reality, if you're allowing untrained sites and individuals to participate in the program, you start to jeopardize the well-being and health of the entire program.
4: The recycling process is multifaceted, but Fredrickson breaks it down into a handful of steps.
6: So you ship the batteries, you then sort them and check them in. They are then sent to the nearest recycler. Typically shredding is the first step. After you shred the batteries, you start to separate out the plastic. You separate out the metals of value. So those refined metals are now a product that can be sent directly back into manufacturing systems.
4: Back at Small Planet eBikes, May Blue Otter says bike shops can play a role in recycling batteries if given the
2: resources, like in the
4: form of grants
2: it would have to be on some form of state level because Colorado's vast, but it's not big. It can happen. And if it's not at the state level, the counties and cities are not going to get the support that they need for this system. She hopes
4: battery recycling initiatives continue to grow, especially for the environment's sake.
2: I'm from Utah. I'm Northern Ute, and we're keepers of the earth. I would love to see more sustainability and to see our skies a little bit brighter and uh, see this lovely homeland of mine be taken care of
4: e-bikes have taken center stage as Colorado continues to appear forward-thinking toward greener and more sustainable transportation options. Ultimately, the journey toward integrating e-bikes into our daily lives involves more than simply adopting a new mode of transport, and business owners and battery collection organizations agree it will take a collective effort to provide safer and more accessible methods of lithium-ion battery recycling. For KGNU and Report for America, I'm Jackie Sedley. Support for
0: KGNU's Follow the Waste series comes from a grant from Boulder County's Zero Waste Funding Program. Today is the first day of school at CU Boulder, but perhaps the most highly anticipated part of the semester has to do with college football. It's time to see what the new-look Buffs can do on the field under the leadership of head coach and NFL Hall of Famer Dion Primetime Sanders. CityCast Denver producer Paul Caroli talks through the implications for Boulder and the whole CU system with 5280 Magazine's editor Lindsay King and editorial director Jeff Van Dyke.
7: Can one of you two explain why Dion Sanders coaching the Buffs is a big
8: deal? I mean, I think the the question is, why is it not a big deal? I remember when there started to be some rumors of him interviewing mm-hmm. for this job. And Lindsay and I were talking and we're both college football fans. She much more so than me. And she was like, are you kidding me? Like, why would Dion come to see you? He's a Florida guy. He's coached and lived in Texas Played for the Dallas Cowboys. It just seemed like a weird regional fit. Yeah. But the more you start to think about it, it kind of makes sense because he has nowhere to go but up.
7: Huh. Okay. Okay. Well, Lindsay, tell, help me understand like, why why Deion Sanders is special.
9: Well, I grew up in Atlanta, so I am very familiar with Prime, or as we called him back in the day, Neon Deion, when he played for the Braves. Neon Deion? Neon Deon. And so he was, he was a bright, shining star his entire career. And even as a kid, apparently, from the research that we did... He was a, a social media star before there was social media. And I think that CU... Wait, how?
7: Did he have like tapes? Do you have like VHS tapes go viral or something? I just like mean, people he was tapes?
9: everywhere. He was everywhere on every channel. Mm. He was just that guy around he was, town.
8: Yeah, he was the self promoter. I mean, uh, he was one of those, you know, early generations of athletes that was preternaturally talented, but also just loved the spotlight.
9: And I think CU was very smart in a being a program that needed to be shocked back to life. He has brought that that burst of energy.
7: OK, OK, so let's talk about how it happened, because you all are you're explaining CU was down in the dumps. You know, they went one and 11 last year. It's a terrible football program. It's been terrible for like 20 years. He's this bright, shining star who's on the rise. How did they do this? Other than money, I mean, they paid him like thirty million dollars for four years. But like, still, how how did they attract him to Boulder, Colorado?
9: Yeah, I think if you look at the program over the past twenty five years, CU has really struggled to get the right type of coach to bring s- some swag to see you. And I think that that is what they were looking for.
10: I move different than a normal coach. I think different than a normal coach. Our swag is different. So our staff, we wear sweatpants and I don't require them to wear college shirts. We want to feel good. We want to feel like we had practice coaching the game and we want a little, little flair.
9: And honestly, big college football, it's, it is one of those things that people believe attracts All kinds of things, all kinds of good things. They think to their university students. If you're talking about dropping enrollment, you're talking about, you know, all of the marketing that goes on because of college football. I think CU was looking for that.
8: Hmm. So Dion had spent a couple of seasons at Jackson State, which is an HBCU, historically black college, and that was his first college coaching experience. He had started a school in the Dallas area called Prime Prep.
7: Oh, that was a crazy story. Insane from story, right? Robert's piece.
8: Yeah, and, and uh, flamed out spectacularly. But that was the extent of his coaching experience. Jackson State hires him, they start to have success, and he brought attention to that school, a school that was traditionally not known as a football powerhouse. Hmm. I think what I'm most
7: interested in this conversation, and I know Lindsay, you'll be able to relate to this because you also grew up in a college football crazy West Virginia. I'm from Ohio, Columbus, the home of the Ohio State University, great football program, huge business, and it has a way of warping reality around it. So I'm most interested in how this is going to affect the university, CU, which is this giant state system across our whole state, and bolder what do you think about that warping effect in those two big subjects
9: yeah i think that we've already started to see the warping if you talk about the way that cu for a very long time said that they would never lower any type of their standards and i think that has already started to happen they've changed their transfer rules to allow different students with with different academic backgrounds to get into the football program um so you've already started to see some of that warping when you're talking about academic standards Mm -hmm. um you know, I don't know if, if you're talking about also the university looking, um, you know, presenting itself in a certain way. They got rid, Dion came in and got rid of a whole bunch of scholarship players who came to see you because they wanted to be in Boulder. And he, he gave them their, their walking papers and they had to go find other places to be. And I think that that's already kind of showing that the football program takes precedence over... People that wanted to be at CU, students that wanted to be there for probably a lot of reasons.
8: Well, yeah. I mean, the the student slash athlete part of that equation is where does the student part fit <laughs> yeah, in? Yeah, where is it? <laughs> um I just read yesterday that they have sixty-eight new scholarship players. Hmm. So I mean, what you know, how it will be interesting, I mean, from a pure football perspective to see. How can they build that culture? How can how can these players who, who don't know each other, right, in a short amount of time be able to gel in a way that potentially leads to winning on the field? I think, Paul, I'm also if, if I can just follow up on, yeah. on the question you asked Lindsay, I think that you have already seen how he has warped things in the sense that you had a springs scrimmage that In the past no one cared about and it was sold out and it was broadcast on espn you have seen fanatics the sportswear retailer online retailer they have said that cu branded gear sales are through the roof and so you know i think in some ways you can say cu has already won without even having a game because of the publicity and the shine that Dion has brought to a program that had lost all its shine.
7: Hmm.
9: Hmm. We had a friend the other day say that, you know, Sanders being there means that the games are now more interesting. If they win, it's interesting, but it's also interesting if they lose. So you're you're he's right. Jeff's right. They're winning either way because they're getting eyeballs because he is attracting them.
7: Big star. Best show on TV. There you go. Yeah, can't not watch. I mean, he's he's a fascinating, fascinating guy. I, let me just read a, a quote from this piece, Robert's piece that we're talking about. There's so many good ones in here. Uh, the quote is, he forbade cell phones in team meetings, but allowed players to put their Instagram handles on the backs of their practice jerseys. Snoop Dogg and Rick Ross hung around the sidelines. The Rock visited practice. Sanders talked about players getting paid about the work it would take for these men to get to the NFL.
10: We don't have a budget to advertise a market or even to recruit like the big boys. So we have to use social media. So I start putting all the ats on the coaches back of the shirt. So a running back does well, that running back watching TV is gonna at that coach and getting them DMs and try to get, so that's the way we recruit. So everything has a, is strategic and it has a purpose. Also, our kids, when they warm up pre-game, They have their ats on the back of their shirts. So, you know, people add them up, making sure they know them and follow them. All these kids want followers, followers and we're trying to revolutionize the game and get them followers as well.
8: Yeah. I mean, I think Dion, this goes back to what Lynn said a few minutes ago, which is he was a social media star before there was social media. I mean, he understands the business of publicity in ways that very few people do. But I think he understands these young men. He understands what they want. He understands that this is a business. And he said, I saw a quote, it was around the time of conference realignment. And there was all this craziness going on. You know, CU left the Pac-12. They went back to the big 12 where they had been, what, 13 years ago or whatever. And people were up in arms and it started this, this domino effect. And he said, why is everyone getting mad? People are going after the money. You get mad when kids do the NIL stuff, but it's all about money. And, you know, whether we like it or not, he's he's kind of right.
9: He's absolutely right. The The NIL stuff is what he understands. He understands how to get paid. And
8: What is NIL?
9: So it's name image likeness, which is a recent... Change oh, this the is way. the change
7: that allows NCAA players to get paid by like s- smaller sponsorships? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Or some not-so-small
8: or, or ones. Not
9: so ones, if you can can get those. Yeah, I mean,
8: Bryce Young was doing ads with all the Heisman folks. I, I forget what it was. It was...
9: Yeah, they're, they're big. You can get... I mean, some of these kids would rather stay in school at this point because they can get paid. They don't have to immediately go into... You know, pro leagues or some of them don't even end up in the pros, but they're getting paid as college kids. And and Sanders understands, and he and he's right in that it is only fair that they are getting paid for the product they are putting on the field.
0: That was CityCast Denver producer Paul Caroli speaking with 5280 Magazine's editor Lindsey King and editorial director Jeff Van Dyke. That's all for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for a commentary from Jim Hightower. And then, it's a public affair with Jim Williams of the Community Foundation of Boulder County. That's just after the news update from the BBC.